Um, maybe I'll just start off by introducing myself, because I know um, as the church grows and new people join us, some people might be familiar with who I am, but other people might have no idea who I am at all. So, I, so my name's Bob. I'm, uh, I'm currently the youth pastor at this church uh, for another three or four weeks, and then uh, I'm heading off to train to be a vicar. Um, so me and the family, we're moving down to Bristol and uh, we're going to study at Trinity College down there um, for two years. And hopefully at the end of that, they'll give me a little collar and say some prayers. And I'll be a vicar um, or a deacon to start with. And uh, we're, we're super excited for the, for the journey that God's taking us on as a family. But we're super excited as well about what seems to be going on, not just for us as a family or us as a church, but across the whole country at the moment, in terms of God's spirit and God's moving uh, across the country. It feels like we're, we're in a time where the church maybe from the outside looks like it might be uh, dwindling, it might be sort of uh, have, have, you know, diminished in size and stature and impact that it's having uh, on the nation or the nations as a whole. But in the midst of that, if, if you're familiar with this book, whenever stuff like that happens, uh, whenever we get to a place where God's people seem to be at their lowest ebb or from the outside they look like stuff's gone wrong or, uh, or, or their, their voice has been quietened somehow by the world, God starts to breathe again on his people, on the church. And as God breathes on his people, on the church, on his nation, stuff starts to happen, exciting stuff starts to happen. And I, I love reading stories of, um, of times in the history of this nation, but also of other nations when God's breathed in a way and where stuff's happened in amazing ways and people have met with Jesus. Um, my, some of my favorite stories are of this little island off the coast of Scotland, the island of Lewis, where um, this, this, these two old ladies, one of them was blind and one of them was in her like late 80s, started praying for God to move on their little island and they would pray every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. through till 4 a.m. in the morning. Two old ladies started praying from 8 p.m. till 4 in the morning that God would move again on their nation. And after praying and praying and praying and praying, God began to move in such a powerful way. The stories that came out of that, what they call a revival of God moving again, are absolutely incredible. There's one story, one my favorite one, is... Um, is, is of this moment in, in, the, in the night when there's this church meeting going on. And at the same time as the church meeting going on, there's a, like a dance for all the young people uh, in, the, in the town or on the island. And in the middle of the dance, the young people are just overwhelmed with the presence of God. They, they don't know what it is. They don't know what's happening. But the, at the dance, they're overwhelmed with the presence of God. And they flood out of this dance, this hall that they're in, and they run to the church. And whilst they're there... Uh, they, so many of them just fall to their knees. They, they're repentant of the way that they've been living, of stuff that's been happening. No one's preached anything to them. No one's said anything to them. But God has moved and breathed in that place in an amazing way. There's other stories of people, fishermen, on, on their fishing boats, driving past this island or sailing past this island and being so overwhelmed and overcome with the presence of God that they fall to their knees on the deck of their boats and give their lives to Jesus. Now, I hear stories like that, and I desperately long for God to move like that in our day, in, in my day. I, I long to see that, not just in our church, but across this nation, outside of this church too. And, and I, I, one of the things that I've longed for the young people to understand whilst we've been here is that what we see now isn't all there is to see, right? 
what, what we understand of God now, what we know of God now, there's always going to be more. An infinite God that we love and that we serve. It's, it's just, there's no way that we can get to fully know him or fully comprehend him or fully understand or fully see all that he's going to do in our day and age. And I just want to call you guys into that place of being excited this morning for what God's going to do in, in our lifetimes. However far along you, you feel like you are on that scale, God's not finished yet with us. He's not finished with his church. He's not finished with our nation. He's not finished with each one of us and using us. And so what I want to talk about this morning is something which I feel like if we get to grips with a little bit more, we will put ourselves in a place where we can receive more of what God's going to do. Okay, if we get to grips with this, we'll be able to hold a little bit more of what God wants to do in our time, in our day. And you know, when, um, you know when you're listening to someone or, or you're hearing something or, or you watch something and it just connects with you in a new way and you start to see things a bit differently? Like sometimes that happens to me in church. Like I hear a message and suddenly it's like the penny drops and it's like, oh my goodness, I never saw that before or I never knew that before or I'd never understood that in that way before. Well, this message comes out of something for, like that which happened for me. A couple of years ago, I, I started listening to... Um, uh, a podcast from um, a church in uh, Bridgetown, a uh, Bridgetown church in uh, Oregon in the USA. And the pastor there who was speaking, a guy called John Mark Comer, who actually Mike now knows, Mike and Tom know really well, I think, and go out to the church fairly regularly. This guy was talking about rest. And he was talking about rest in a way that I had never heard anyone talk about rest before. He's like, his key word in the middle of this thing was Sabbath. And, and he, what he was getting at in the midst of his, what he was talking about was this idea of finding a rhythm of rest in the world that we live in, of godly rest, not just of putting down tools, but of finding a rhythm of godly rest. And he started to sort of unpack and to sort of like delve into something which I was like, oh my goodness, how have I missed this for so long? How have I gone through life as a Christian you know, I've been a Christian since I was about, really, since I was about 14, I guess. How have I gone through life for like 20-something years and never really entered into or explored the idea of what it looks like when God supplies the rest? When I don't just try and rest, but I let God supply the rest. When I rest God's way. And so what I want to talk about this morning is a bit about rest. And hopefully go on a bit of a journey with us together. There's this story in, um, I don't know if it's going to come up, in Mark chapter 4. It might come up on the screens for you, but I'll read it anyway if it doesn't. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, is this story when Jesus calms the storm. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified 
and asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Now, I love the picture of that story, that in the midst of this storm, this squall that's kind of whipped up and throwing waves over the boat and the wind's so strong. And remember Jesus' disciples, a lot of them were fishermen, right? So, so they weren't unfamiliar with the waves. They weren't unfamiliar with the wind, but this was terrifying them. This was, this was scaring them to the extent that they have to go and wake Jesus up. But just think about that. They have to go and wake Jesus up in the middle of this storm. He's asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. Now, I want to know How on earth does someone stay asleep in the stern of the boat on a cushion in the midst of a storm like that? How is Jesus able to stay asleep? How is he able to find rest in the middle of a storm of that size and that magnitude? And it makes me think of life, of life that I know, and I'm sure many of us can relate to, often feels like we're in this storm, we're battered by these waves of of everything being thrown at us by life. We're up and down, this way and that way, sometimes we don't know what's going on or what direction we're, we're moving in. I'm sure it's not just me that feels like that, there's some people nodding at me. And I, in the midst of those storms, are in inner turmoil. I am like one of those disciples. I am looking this way and that way for some kind of way out or some kind of, you know, how on earth do I stop this storm? But Jesus, in the middle of these storms, is able to find rest and find peace and even to sleep in the middle of these storms. And when you look at the life that Jesus sort of modeled for us, Jesus finds rest on on a regular basis. There's, there's these lines in the, in the Gospels that say that Jesus retreat, retreated often to a quiet place to meet with God. It, it was like he found a rhythm in the midst of his life to go away and to meet with his father. Even with all the demands that were on him, even with all the things that people wanted to see from him. And as you unpack the scripture even more, it's not just Jesus who models to us this rhythm of rest so that we can rest in the middle of storms. But we also unpack right at the beginning of, of the Bible in Genesis that we were made in the image of God, right? God, we were made in his image. And yet it says in Genesis, by the seventh day, so after God had created us, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all the work. God rested. An infinite, infinitesimal being rested. He doesn't need to rest, does he? Surely, if God is God, he doesn't need rest, but he chose to rest. He chose to model to us what we need to do to enjoy what he's made, what he's given us to be in. There's something, if we get to grips with this, there's a power in rest that we have no idea about, I think, as the church anymore. We've lost a connection with this thing that God built in to our very DNA, And then I don't know about you, but if you look around the world sometimes, you know, I've been working with young people now for a long time, and I've never known a time working with young people where there are more young people exhausted and worn out and tired, and they're still in school. They haven't even got a job yet. They they haven't even entered the workplace, but they're tired. They're worn out. They're they're, they're kind of, some of them are burning out even before they've done their A-level exams or GCSEs. And I don't know about you, but when you look around, you know, even our church, our workplace, many of us feel like we live in this world that is frantically uh, working at a frantic pace. It's like 
one thing after another thing after another thing after another thing. This is, this is so important that we get to grips with this, this idea of rest and resting in God's way. One of my um, favorite sort of moments in the scriptures that we read about is with Moses. And, uh, you know, Moses, the guy who, t- who took the Israelites out of Egypt, who led them out of Egypt, who crossed the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea, who led the people with a, or God led the people with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And Moses, this guy who has this incredible, amazing relationship with God, uh, has this moment where he, he ends up on a mountain, on Mount Sinai, and he's having a conversation with God. And there's this bit that God says to him, uh, and the, the Lord says, uh, in, in Exodus chapter 33, this is, verse 14. And he's talking about the onward journey for Moses. My presence will go with you. Remember that line? For some of us, that's familiar. My presence will go with you. And then the next thing that follows is, and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. As the people of God were going to move into the promised land, the promise was that the presence of God would go with them. And as it went with them, they would know rest, God's rest. Jesus, when, when he was speaking to his, to his disciples and to the crowds around him, said in John 10, I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. And I think something of what Jesus was talking about there is, the, is what God was talking to Moses about, entering in to a place of God's presence and a place where we would know and find rest, real rest. Now, that for me excites me. I don't know about you, but for so much in my Christian life, as I've kind of tried to follow Jesus, tried to, to learn his way and walk his way, become more like him, it's involved me picking things up learning how to use gifts and tools and things that God's given us to use that have been really good and really helpful. But it's taken time to learn those things. It's taken time to learn how to walk the way that Jesus walked. But with rest, it feels like, it feels like something where you put the tools down. You don't have to pick anything up, but you just have to learn how to be. And for me, as I've just begun the journey really in this kind of stuff it's become the most liberating freeing fun and enjoyful and joyful enjoyful enjoyable yes there we go that word enjoyable journey of learning how just to be and to find rest rather than keep doing and doing and doing psalm 23 written by david the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing he makes me lie down In green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, I need that in this day. And I don't think I'm the only one who needs that. Number one, about why we find this hard, okay? Why do we find this hard? It's because we live in a culture that values work and productivity way above rest. Am I right? Yeah? What does our culture place value on? What does it reward financially or with a claim or, 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 or in any way? Work, productivity, success. And it doesn't really seem to have a huge value for rest, does it, our culture that we live in? And 
you know, there's a story in the, in the Old Testament of Daniel. And Daniel uh, was taken off uh, by the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, from, uh, from um, Jerusalem. Daniel was, uh, he was an Israelite. He was a follower of God. But he was taken off um, and made captive and taken to a place called Babylon, this new city, this new place. And when he was um, in Babylon, he was selected as one of the people that the king wanted to invest in and try to kind of uh, grow in the ways of the Babylonians. He wanted to teach him Babylonian language and about the Babylonian gods and about the Babylonian things because he realized if he could get Daniel, uh, who was a a very influential person in that culture, then Daniel would influence other people. But there comes this moment where King Nebuchadnezzar tries to set before Daniel his food. So so this new food, the food of of Babylon. He tries to set before Daniel this new food. And Daniel spots straight away, this isn't the food that I'm allowed to eat. Straight away, it's like, this is in front of me. It's different from what I know, from what I've grown up with. It's different from what I've been taught is right to eat. And I will not eat this food. And he takes this risk and goes on this journey of refusing to eat this food. Now, Daniel could see straight away, because he's been taken out of one culture and moved into another one, what was different, what was wrong. You know, he was in Israel, he, he, in Judah even, he was in Jerusalem, and now he's in Babylon, and he can see the difference. But for us, what's happened in our culture with rest is that it's slowly, slowly, slowly moved down the pecking order of priorities in our culture. And what's risen really slowly is this value of productivity, of work, of accomplishment, of doing, 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 doing. So much so that when, we, when people ask us how we're doing, if you've ever asked me in this church how I'm doing, probably my response was, yeah, good, but really busy. And it's like this badge of honor, this like, I'm worth something, I'm busy, I'm doing stuff. Or maybe I've said, yeah, I'm good, but tired. You know, if we ever use that one. And it's, it's like slowly, 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 this value of accomplishment, of achievement, of doing, 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 has like, like a frog in water coming to the boil. Slowly, 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 we haven't realized it's been happening. We find it really hard to turn stuff off. Our laptops, our phones, our iPads, or whatever we've got, our TVs. We've got to-do lists coming out of our ears. You know, we've got to-do lists for to-do lists, you know, because we want to get everything done. The demands on our families, on our friendships, on sports clubs and sports teams and getting our kids here and there if you've got kids or, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it seems never-ending. And we live in this world that, um, that has bought into it, that's told us this is the way that we need to live. I don't know if we've, uh, if we've got a photo of my dog. Uh, it's actually not my dog, but it's our family dog. I don't know if it's going to work. Oh, here he is. Okay, great. This is Patch. Um, and uh, Patch is actually now 84 years old in dog years. Although he doesn't look that old. Oh, well, I don't think he does. Anyway, still looks like a little bit of a puppy. But um, a few years ago, uh, my parents uh, bought Patch for our family. And um, 
And we just loved having this dog. We absolutely loved it. And I've got four, uh, three siblings, um, a twin brother, and then a younger brother and a younger sister. And we all like, made these connections with this dog. It was like, oh my goodness. And we all wanted to take Patch out on our own walk with Patch. So we have our, our, our own time with Patch. You know? And like, you know how it is when you get a new pet as a family. And, um, and one of the things that Patch loves to do, so he's like, I think he's a collie crossed with a, a King Charles Spaniel or something like that. Um, he, he loves to run and to chase things and to bring stuff back, right? So if you throw a ball for Patch, he loves it. It's his favorite thing. Yeah, I'm sure this is not unfamiliar for those of you who have dogs. But Patch will, will run after the ball again and again and again and again. And what we realize after a while is he's got no sense of awareness of when he's getting overheated or overworked or overrun. So if you keep throwing the ball for him, he will literally run until he throws up and collapses on the floor. If you keep doing it, we have tested it by accident. And we had to have this chat as a family, like he's got no idea what he's doing to his body, what he's doing to himself. He will just keep going for that ball if you throw it. And it's a bit like our culture works like that. The, the, the society, the culture we live on is just throwing the ball again and again and again and again. And we're so wired into the way society works, we keep running for the ball again and again and again and again. And I think what God wants to say to us in this time, we want to take hold of what he's going to do in the next season is we've got to wake up to the fact that we're wired the way society is wired, even a little bit in the church, dare I say it. We're wired a little way that society is wired, and we need to have a little check with ourselves about what's going on there. And I think part of this is that we've actually lost touch a little bit with how to rest as a people. We, we confuse entertainment with rest. They're, they're really not the same thing when you look into it. And, and I encourage you if, you, if you ever got time to, to listen into those podcasts or those um, from Bridgetown Church, John Mark Comer that I was telling you about, which really sort of shook something in me. If you get the chance, have a, have a listen into those. Uh, and they unpack in a much better way than I could the difference between rest and entertainment. But there is a really, really significant difference. Richard Foster, I don't know if you've ever read The Celebration of Discipline, but he writes this. And this sort of links into this stuff. He says, we have an insane attachment to things. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things we want to impress people we do not like. We are made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they're worn out. The mass media has convinced us that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with society. The writer of the Psalms writes this years and years and years ago. It's senseless for you to work hard from early morning until late at night, fearing or worrying that you won't have enough. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. Okay, so that's where we're at. That's what's going on. That's why we find it hard to rest in our world. So what do we do about it? How do we start to reverse the trend as God's church so we can take hold of what he wants to do in this next season? Well, we start with Matthew 11. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The message puts it this way. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is the invitation that we have. Back to rest. How do we engage with rest again? The way God wants us to know it? We come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I need you to teach me how to rest again. I need your presence in me. All right, now we've got some lovely young people in the room this morning, and I've selected a few of them to come and help me. So if I selected you earlier, can you just stand up for me and just come over, come over this way? Let's give them a round of applause as they come. Okay. So we've got Karis here and Jesse. Okay, can you guys come and stand this end of the stage for me? This is, this is Karis. Karis, Jesse, why don't you stand next to Karis for me? You guys are going to hold something together. Okay, and then uh, Ruo, this is Ruo. Ruo, why don't you come and stand here, buddy? And Ben, just come stand this side of the lectern for me, okay? And Ruben, can you stand just here on the edge? Perfect. Now, don't they look good? Yeah, okay. These, these are some cracking young people in our youth group. So these guys are in the younger youth group. Ruben, I'm going to give you this word here. Can you hold it up? And just turn slightly this way and this way. Just keep rotating so everyone can see what that word is. Okay, so this is the word success, right? And this is the way that our culture is wired. We start with success in our culture. Success is the thing that we want. Success is our aim. It's our, it's our kind of like end game. It's the thing that we really desire. So let's think about school for the moment. If we're studying in school, we're doing exams, we want success in those exams. And if we have success in those exams, okay... Ben, can you do a little turn for me so people can see what, what word that is? We feel like we've got authority. Okay, success leads to authority. It's like this thing, like, you know, if I get an A star in my, in my A-level chemistry exam, you know, I feel like I've got some authority to talk about chemistry to people. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, if I've sold more cars than anyone else in my business, you know, by about 200, I feel like I've got some authority to talk to people about how to sell cars or whatever it is. And that in our society, Ruo, cheers buddy, gives us security. Can you hold that up and show it so everyone can see? Success gives us authority, which leads to security. That might be financial, that might be just I've secured my place at, you know, whatever it is, university that I'm going to. But this is the way that our society works. And Jesse and Karis, can you hold this for me together? Is that all right? Okay. And this feeds into our identity. This is who we are. Okay, I got my A star at A level, give me some authority, some security, and now I feel like I am someone or something because I've been successful. Do you see how, that's, how that works? This is the way our culture works, right? But if you look at scripture, if you look at what Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit were doing when they started Jesus' ministry... Before Jesus does any miracles or anything, preaches any sermons or does anything, there's this moment, you'll all know, most of you will know, I'm sure, where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. 
He goes down into the water. He comes out of the water. And then this voice from heaven says of Jesus, This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. God, the Father, the Spirit and the Son want us to start from here. Who we are. This is who I am. I am Jesus, the Son of God, and God is well pleased with me. Out of that place comes a security and an authority and a success, whatever that means in sort of a godly sense. Do you see, do you see how that works? It, it's completely the reverse, the way the world's taught us how to live. God wants us to work from the place of we're his kids, we're his people, we're his children whom he loves who he wants to pour out his blessing on, who he wants to invite into what rest really is. And out of this place, we find security. Out of that place, we find a new authority. And then we can go out into the world and we'll we'll be able to achieve for God what he wants us to achieve. We'll be able to hold for him what he wants us to hold. You see, we need, as the people of God, to start starting here again. Yeah? We, we need to start getting back to who am I? Let that be the place that I live from in this day. All right, guys. Um, let's give these guys a round of applause. You can put those down where they are and go and find your seats. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Before you go, the most important part, you can go and share some more teasers. Okay, there you go. Oh, look at that smile. Happy days. Okay. So, how do we do it? A couple of tips and then we'll finish. A couple of tips. Number one. There's this word that occurs in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, loads, called Sabbath. And we, as a church and as a people, need to to get back to what this word really means. Sabbath is not just taking a day off to do all the stuff that we need to do. It's not just about having a day where we go through our to-do lists and check everything off or, you know, sit in front of Netflix or whatever it is that you do to, to relax. Sabbath is about putting down everything and remembering who we are. The Jewish people would say that Sabbath is the first day of the week. It's the day they live the rest of the week from. Everything happens on that Sabbath to restore who they are and their identity. It's about recovering who we are. It's about remembering this, our identity, that we can live out of that place. You know... um, uh, in the Bible, there's, there's this moment where um, when, when God makes Adam, it, it says he breathes into the dirt, into his nostrils, basically, that he made Adam out of in order to create Adam, to bring Adam to life. And, and there's this sense that the Sabbath is meant to be a renewing of that breath of God breathing into us again his goodness, his life, his presence, his spirit. Now, we need to go on a journey, and I can't, we can't unpack it now in this moment of what Sabbath truly, really is. But can I encourage each of you just to go on the journey a little bit in your own time, if you can, in connect groups or whatever it is. What is the Sabbath? What was it meant to be? What, what are we meant to be? One of the things the Jews would do in preparation for the Sabbath is they, they would literally prepare. They would go crazy getting ready for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was this time of rest and enjoyment and of being together of not working any longer. Now, that, a day like that sounds exciting to me in the world I live in. It's about turning off our phones, believe it or not, if we possibly can, shutting down our laptops, powering down our TVs, and being with each other in the presence of God. It's about letting him breathe into us again. 
Number two, we need to give ourselves permission to say no more often. Now, I'm about to leave this church, so I can say this, but I am, I'm going to give you permission, all of you, to say no to loads of things in your life and in the life of the church so that you can have more space to breathe and to be you. I don't know about you, but I feel immense guilt over saying no to people, partly because I struggle with people-pleasing, but I find it immensely hard to actually say no to opportunities that are in front of me. Now, if someone came along who I really like and says, Bob, I'm going to teach Swahili, you know, on a Thursday night, do you want to come? I'd find that difficult to say no to, even though I have no interest in Swahili at all. Not that it's a bad language, but do you know what I mean? I'd find it hard to say no to let people down. But we are so overwhelmed in our culture at the moment with opportunities, with clubs, with, with this and with that and with this and with that. We need to get better at saying no so we can be more fully who we were meant to be. Okay? We, we need to get better at that and without feeling guilty about doing it. Create more space in your diary. Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Okay, three. Bump rest up your priority list a few notches. Try and work out with your partner or your spouse or your family or your friends. Where do you think it is at the moment on your list of priorities day to day, week by week? Where's rest? Where's real rest? And try and bump it up the priority list a little way. Make it more important to try and find moments of real rest, true rest. And number four, we need to rediscover that rest is an act of worship. We need to discover that rest is an act of worship. You know, in, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, number four in the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. You know, along with don't kill, don't, you know, don't steal, don't commit adultery, right there on that list of these ten really crucial things that we need to live by if we're going to live in God's blessing is remember the Sabbath. It's that important. And so for us, as we try to remember and re-engage with what the Sabbath is or what rest is, we are doing something that is obedience to God. Obedience is seen as worship. Jesus said, those who love me will obey my commands. It's a way of us worshipping God by choosing to set time aside to be with God, to be in his presence and to be in rest. Whilst I was at university, I am... Um, I had this verse up on the wall by the side of my desk, and, um, and it was from Colossians 3.23, and uh, it says this, uh, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as though you were working for the Lord and not for human masters. Now, when my friends would come into my room who were Christians, they'd be like, oh, is that to remind you to work hard? And I'd be like, well, yeah, at times, it is, it is to try and remind me to work hard, but the real reason that I had it on my wall was for that line, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Because what I found difficult at university was to disengage from work and to properly rest. And so what I used to challenge myself to do is when I work, work hard, work properly, you know, you know, go for it. But when you rest, 
Don't muddy that with work anymore. It just wasn't working for me. Rest with all your heart as though you were resting for the Lord. It's like this sense of like, oh yeah, when I rest, I can give that as an act of worship to you, God. I can turn my phone off so that I can spend a little bit more time with you. I, I, I can do things that, I, that are, are for you, are about you, are to you in that time. To obey is to love. Right, I'll finish with this. Um, our call as God's people in this next season, whatever God does, however he breathes on us as a church, as people, as individuals, will still be to love him and to love each other, right? It'll always be to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but for me, the more I've looked at my life over the last little while, as I've started to look into this stuff, when I am low on energy, when I'm low emotionally, when, when I'm depleted in terms of my reserves, I find it much harder to love people. Well, I do. I find it much harder to answer the phone to another young person you know, who's broken up with their boyfriend or girlfriend and coach them through what's going on. I'm, I'm exhausted. I've got nothing left to give. I'm so busy. There's just one thing after another, after another, after another. My family feel it. My, my work colleagues feel it. My, my, you know, my ministry here with the young people, they feel it too. They don't necessarily know where it's coming from. But it's because I'm knackered. It's because I haven't rested. I haven't let God lead me into a place of rest for a while. And I need it. And so for me, you know, the biggest challenge here is if I want to be someone who looks like Jesus, who loves God and loves the world around me, I need to get back to what it means to find rest. I need to rediscover what it means to stop and to put down tools and to spend time in his presence with him, re-engaging with who I really am as his son and who he really is as my father so that for the next little while, I can go and love people like he wants me to love people. Love is like the, it's like the issue of love. It's like if we want to love people better, we need to be kinder to ourselves, to rest better, that we might love better. And if we do that, guys, if we do that, I think we're going to see, people are going to see Jesus in us more clearly. We, we, it's like fueling a flame or a light or increase the intensity at which something burns and glows. The world is going to notice. And we as the church need to go, oh yeah, hang on a minute. This is so important. I, I, need, to, I need to know more about this. I need to enter into what this really means. And discover it so that I can be who I'm made to be. And I can love people around me better. And that's what I think God wants us to go on the journey with. It's not going to be done in one day or one sermon or, or anything like that. But just to go on the journey over these next few months, especially over the summer, as some of us take time off, what does it mean to rest? How can I really engage with rest? And how can I do it God's way? What's God's way of me finding real rest? Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy, load, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest.